chapter 22. If you were the baby buffalo at the Elmwood Park Zoo, maybe it would have gone something like this. You wake up, you have breakfast, compliments of mother's milk. You mosey on over to the lean-to. Surprise! A strange new animal is there. Bigger than you, but a lot smaller than mom. Hair, but only on the top of its head. Sitting in the straw, munching on a carrot like mom does. Every morning, same thing. You get to expect it. Some mornings, you forget mom's milk and head right on over to the lean-to. The creature offers you a carrot, but all you know how to deal with is milk. You nuzzle the new, funny-smelling, hairy-head animal. It nuzzles you back. Mom doesn't seem to mind. After the nuzzling, the stranger climbs over the fence and goes away, not to return until that night. Only one morning, the stranger falls from the fence and lies on the ground. On the other side, it doesn't move. You try to poke your nose through the chain links, but you can't reach. You can only watch. Only watch. The old man was bumping through the zoo in the park pickup when he spotted the body clumped outside the buffalo pen. He wheeled over, got out. A kid? At first, he could only stare at the body, then at the baby bison, whose large brown eyes seemed to be watching them both. A mother came lumbering over, nodding to them, as if to confirm, a kid. The kid looked terrible. His clothes were scraps, rags. Wherever his body showed through, it was bony and dirty and scratched. The two bison staring, staring, seemed to say, well, do something. The old man gathered his own, own bones and muscles as best he could and managed to hoist the kid and get him into the pickup. He laid him on the seat, bent his legs so he could close the door. He knew he should take the kid straight to the hospital or a doctor, someplace official, someplace right, but the pickup just sort of steered itself back into the band shell, and there he was, lugging the kid into the baseball equipment room. The season was over by now, but the army green burlap bag still stood ready for the next dump to call, play ball! He yanked out a couple of chest protectors and laid the kid down, careful with his head. At least he was breathing. Though it wasn't cold, it seemed as if the kid ought to be covered, so the old man took his winter work jacket off the hook and laid it over him. Then he waited and watched. With trembling, dusty fingers, he touched the kid's limp, scrawny hand. He had never held, never really touched a kid's hand before. Hey! The kid's voice was barely a squeak, but it threw him back. He dropped the hand. Where am I? The old man cleared his throat. The baseball stand. Sorry, the band shell. The band shell? In the back, equipment room. The kid's eyes squinted, blinked. And you? What about me? Who are you? Grayson. Grayson, do, do I know you? He got up. Guess you do now. He went to his hot plate, heated up some soup, and made some chicken noodle cup of soup. He gave it to the kid, who was sitting up now. You want a spoon? He looked as though he could hardly lift the cup. He held it with both hands and gulped it down. Huh? He said. Never mind. You still hungry? The kid flopped back down. A little. Wait here, said Grayson, and he left. Ten minutes later, he was back with a zep, a large. It took the kid less time to polish it off than it had taken Grayson to get it. He told the kid not to eat so fast. He'd get sick. The kid nodded. Grayson said, where'd you get them scratches? Oh, some picker bush. What were you doing there? Hiding. Hiding from who? Some kids. Where? The kid pointed. Somewhere out there, some other town. He crossed his legs Indian style on the chest protector. Can I ask you a favor? Shoot. Can we go somewhere and get some butterscotch crimpets? Grayson squawked. Crimpets? You still hungry? For them I am. 
Grayson threw the greasy zip wrapper into the wastebasket. I don't know. Maybe you ought to do something for me first. Like what? Like, tell me your name. I'm Jeffrey McGee. And where you live? Well, I did live on Sycamore Street, 728. Did? I guess I don't anymore. The old man stared. You said Sycamore? Yep. Ain't that the East End? Yep. With his fingernail, he scraped off a path of dirt off the kid's forearm. He stared at it. What are you doing? The kid asked. Seeing if he was white under there. Neither spoke for a while. At last, the kid said, Anything else you want to ask me? The old kid shrugged. Guess not. Ah, oh, come on. Don't stop asking. I'm asked out. How about the zoo, huh? Don't you want to know what I was doing at the zoo? At the buffalo pen? The old man sighed. Okay, what? I was living there. With the buffaloes? Yep, with the buffaloes. You like buffaloes? It was dark when I got there. I thought it was the deer pen. They switched the deer pen and the buffaloes around last month. Okay with me. I get along better with the buffaloes anyway. Well, I'll tell you one thing, the old man sniffed. You sure do smell like one. The kid laughed. They both laughed. When they finally calmed down, the kid said, Any chance of those crumpets now? Grayson reached for the pickup keys. Let's go. Chapter 23. Grayson got the crumpets, all right. He bought a whole box of three packs. With ten packs to a box, that was thirty butterscotch crimpets. Maniac thought he must have climbed out of that buffalo pen right into heaven. Then Grayson took Maniac home. Home for the old man was the Two Mills YMCA. He lived in a room on the third floor. But he didn't make, take Maniac up there. He took him downstairs to the locker room. He got him a towel and a cake of soap, told him to take off his rags, and pointed the way to the showers. Maniac stayed in the shower for an hour. He hadn't done this since his last bath with the little ones. He smiled at the thought of them, shrieking and splashing. The shower needle stung his scratches, but it was a good welcome back to town stinging. When Maniac finally forced himself from the shower, he found the old man waiting with clothes. Grayson's clothes. I called the U.S. Army in to haul them buffalo rags away, he said. They came in with gas masks on, and they used tongs to pick them up and put them in a steel box. And they took the box away to bury it at the bottom of the first mine shaft they came to. Maniac couldn't stop laughing. Neither could Grayson, especially when he got a load of the kid drowning in his clothes. An hour later, after a minor shopping spree, Maniac had clothes for, of his own. For the rest of the afternoon, they cruised around town, talking and eating crimpets. So, said the old man, now what are you going to do? Maniac thought it over. How about a job? I could work for the park like you. Grayson didn't answer that. He said, where do you think you're going to stay? Maniac's answer was prompt. The baseball room. It's perfect. A tiny idea was beginning to worm its way into Grayson's head. He could barely feel as if it brushed by all the claptrap in his brain. He ignored it. He said, what about school? Maniac was silent. Some butterscotch icing had stayed behind on a wrapper. He scooped it up and mopped it from his finger, wishing there was, it was Mrs. Beale's and not his own. Grayson, who was not comfortable asking questions, was even less comfortable waiting for answers. I said, what about school? Maniac turned to him. What about it? You gotta go, you're a kid, ain't ya? I'm not going. But you gotta, don't ya? They'll make ya. Not if they don't find me. The old man just looked at him for a while with a mixture of puzzlement and recognition, as though the fish he had landed might be the same one he had thrown away long before. Why? he said. Maniac felt more than he knew why. He had, it had to do with homes and families and schools and how a school seems sort of like a big home, but only a day home because then it empties out and can't stay there at night because it's not really a home and you could never use it as your address because an ad 
address is where you stay at night, where you walk right in the front door without knocking, where everybody talks to each other and uses the same toaster. So all the other kids would be heading for their homes, their night homes, each of them, hundreds flocking from school like birds from a tree, scattering across town, each breaking off to his or her own place, each knowing exactly where to land. School, home, no, he was not going to have one without the other. If you try to make me, he said, I'll just start running. Grayson said nothing. What that kid said actually made him feel good, though he didn't have any idea why. And the brushing little worm of a notion was beginning to tickle him now. He kept on driving. Chapter 24 They got back to the band shell just as they finished the last of the crimpets. Grayson looked at his watch. Guess it's time to quit the job I never did today. Time for dinner, too. Grayson was joking, but Maniac was serious when he piped, Great! Where to? Dumbfounded, the old man drove back out of the park to the nearest diner, where he sat with a cup of coffee while the boy wolfed down a meatloaf and gravy, mashed potatoes, zucchini, salad, and coconut custard pie. Grayson had a way of jumping into a subject without warning. It was during Maniac's dessert that he abruptly said, Them black people, they eat mashed potatoes too? Maniac thought he was kidding, then he realized he wasn't. Sure, Mrs. Beale used to have potatoes a lot, mashed in every other way. Mrs. Who? Mrs. Beale. Do you know the Beals of 728 Sycamore Street? The old man shook his head. Well, they were my family. I had a mother and father and a little brother and sister and a sister my age and a dog. My own room, too. Grayson stared out the, win- the diner window as if digesting this information. How about meatloaf? Huh? They eat that, too? Sure, meatloaf, too, and peas, and corn, you name it. Cake? Maniac beamed. Oh, man, you kidding? Mrs. Beale makes the best cakes in the world. Grayson's eyes narrowed. Toothbrushes? They use them? Maniac fought not to smile. (laughs) Absolutely. We all had our toothbrushes hanging in the bathroom. I know that, said Grayson, impatient, but is theirs the same as ours? No difference that I could see. You didn't drink out of the same glass. Absolutely we did. This information seemed to shock the old man. Maniac laid down his fork. Grayson, they're just regular people, like us. I was never in a house of theirs. Well, I'm telling you, it's the same. There's bathtubs and refrigerators and rugs and TVs and beds. Grayson was wagging his head. Ain't that something? Ain't that something? It was after dark when they got back to the baseball equipment room. The worm in Grayson's head had long since ceased to be a tiny tickle. It was now a maddening itch. As with all such itch worms, it would exit only with one route, the mouth. He said, uh, I was thinking, uh, maybe you want to come over to my place. This here floor is pretty hard. He tapped his foot to show how hard. The grizzled gray old park hand could never know how much Maniac was tempted or how deeply the offer touched him. Neither could Maniac explain that the bad luck he always seemed to have with parents had led him to the conclusion that he'd better stick to himself. Oh, it's not bad here, he said. Look. He lay down on the chest protectors and closed his eyes. Ah, just like a mattress. I can feel myself dozing off already. And then, not wanting to hurt the old man's feelings, he quickly added, Hey, I told you everything about me. How about you? He pulled Grayson's coat over himself. A bedtime story. Grayson snorted. Story? I don't know no stories. Sure you do, maniac prodded about yourself. You know about you. Everybody has a story. Not me. Grayson was edging for the door. I ain't got no story. I ain't ain't nobody. I work at the park. You line baseball fields? Mm, Yep, I do that.
You live at the Y. You drive up the park pickup. You like butterscotch crimpets? Grayson shook his head. Not as much as you. I was just eating them to be friendly, so as you wouldn't have to eat them all by yourself. And there's another thing about you, maniac joked. You're a liar. They both laughed. Grayson opened the door. Wait, called Maniac. What did you want to grow up to be when you were a kid? Grayson paused in the doorway. He looked out into the night. A baseball player, he said. He turned out the light and closed the door. Chapter 25. In the morning, Grayson brought Maniac an egg McMuffin and a large orange juice. He bought the same thing for himself, so they ate breakfast together in the baseball equipment room. You sent me to bed without a story last night, Maniac kidded. Grayson brushed a yellow speck of egg from his white stubble. I don't got no stories, I told you. You wanted to be a baseball player. That ain't no story. Well, did you become one? Grayson drank half his orange juice. Just the miners, he muttered. Maniac yelped, the miners? I'll never make it to the majors. There was afraid weariness in the old man's words, as though they had long since worn out. Grayson, the miners? Man, you must have been good. What position did you play? Grayson said, pitcher. This word, unlike the others, was not worn at all, but fresh and robust. It startled Maniac. It declared, I am not what you see. I am not a line-laying, pickup-driving, live-at-the-Y, bean-brained parkhand. I am not rickety, whiskered worm chow. I am a pitcher. Maniac had sensed there was something more to the old man. Now he knew what it was. Grayson? What's your first name? The old man fidgeted. Earl, but call me Grayson, Grayson like everybody. He looked at the clock on the wall. Gotta go. Grayson, wait. I'm late for work. You ought to be in school. He was gone. Grayson returned at noon bearing zeps and sodas and was not allowed to leave until he told Maniac one story about the minor leagues. So he told the kid about his first day in the minors with Bluefield, West Virginia in the Appalachian League. Class D. Can't go no lower than that he told the kid. That's where you broke in. Don't have D-ball no more. He told about thumbing a ride to Bluefield, and when he got there, going up to a gas station attendant and asking which way to the ballpark. And the gas station man told him, sure, but I gotta ask you something. You're a new ball player, right? Just coming on board? And Grayson said, yep, that's right. And the man said, I thought so. Well then, you're just gonna want to make sure you first stop right over there. He pointed across the street. That there restaurant, the Blue Star. You just go right on in there and sit yourself down and tell the waitress you want the biggest steak on the menu. And anything else you want, too, because it's all in the house. The Blue Star treats every new rookie to his first meal in town free. He gave a wink. They want your business. Great, thought Grayson, and he did just that. Only, when he came, when he got up and left, the restaurant owner came running after him down the street, all mad at Grayson for skipping out. And when Grayson told him he was a rookie just picking up his first free meal, the owner got even madder. Seems the gas station man was a real card and liked to welcome dumb rookies with his little practical joke. And that's how it came to be that when the Bluefield Bullets took the field that day, they did so without the service of their new pitcher, who was back in the kitchen of the Blue Star restaurant doing dishes to work off a 16-ounce steak, half a broiled chicken, and two pieces of rhubarb pie. After a story like that, Maniac couldn't stay behind, so he tagged along with Grayson as he went back to work. He helped the old man raise a new fence around the children's petting farmyard. When the park superintendent came around and asked about the kid, Grayson said it was his nephew come to visit for a while. 
The superintendent, who managed the budget, said, Well, we can't pay him, you know. And Grayson said, Fine, no problem. And that was that. From then on, Maniac was on the job with Grayson every afternoon. They raised fences, mended fences, hauled stone, patched asphalt, painted, trimmed trees. They ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. Sometimes in the equipment room, sometimes at a restaurant. They spent weekends together. All the while, Grayson told baseball stories, insisting all along, I ain't got no stories. He told about the Appalachian League and the Carolina League and the Pecos Valley League and the Buckeye and the Mexican Leagues, about the Paducah Twin Oaks and the Natchez Pelicans and the Jessup Georgia Browns and the Laredo Lariats, all minor league teams, minor league baseball, sleazy hotels, sleazy buses, sleazy stadiums, sleazy fans, sleazy water buckets, curveballs and bus fumes and dreams, dreams of the majors, clean sheets and an umpire at every base, funny stories, happy stories, sad stories, just plain baseball stories. The happiest story being the one about Willie Mays' very last at-bat in the minor leagues before he went up to the New York Giants and immortality. Well, it was good old Grayson himself who had that last crack at Mays in the ninth inning of a game with Indianapolis. And what did Grayson do? All he did was set that say-hey-kid down swinging on three straight curveballs. The saddest story was about the one scout who came down from the Toledo Mud Hens. The Mud Hens had a roster slot, and the scout had a notion to fill it with the pitcher with the wicked curveball, name of Earl Grayson. This was Grayson's big chance, for the Mud Hens were class triple-A ball, one shortstop from the majors. The night before the game, Grayson spent half of it on his knees by his bed praying, and even five minutes before the game in the dugout, he bent down, pretended to tie his shoe, and closed one eye and prayed, please let me win this ball game, which was something since he had never gone to church in his life. God must have fainted, he said to my maniac. And indeed, maybe God did. Or maybe he only listened to major leaguers because Grayson took the mound and proceeded to pitch the flat-out, awfulest game of his life. His curveball wasn't curving. His sinker wasn't sinking. His knuckler wasn't knuckling. The batters were teeing off as if it were the invasion of Normandy Beach. Before the third inning was over, the score was 12-0, to zero, and Grayson was in the showers. He was 27 years old then, and that was the closest he would ever get to the big show. He hung out for 13 more years, a baseball junkie, winding up in some hot tamale league in Guadalajara, Mexico, until his curveball could no longer bend around so much as a chili pepper, and his fastball was slower than Senorita's answer. He was 40, out of baseball, and for all intents and purposes, out of life. All those years in the game, and all he was fit to do was clean a restroom or sweep a floor or lay a chalk line. Or, far, far down the road, tell stories to a wide-eyed homeless kid. Chapter 26 It was impossible to listen to such stories empty-handed. As soon as Grayson started one, Maniac would reach into one of the equipment bags and pull out a ball or a bat or a catcher's mitt. Sniffing the scuffed horsehide aroma of the ball, ripping the finger, rippling the fingertips over the red stitching, it's hard to say how these things can make the listening better. But they do, and for Maniac, they did. And of course, as happens with baseball, one thing led to another, and pretty soon the two of them were tossing a ball back and forth. And then they were outside, where the throws could be longer, where you could play pepper in the out, outfield grass of the Legion field. The old man pitching, the kid tapping grounders, where you could shag fungos, the old man popping high flyers, and the kid chasing them down. 
And now the stories were mixed with instruction, the grizzled, rickety coot showing the kid how to spray liners to the opposite field, how to get a jump on a fly, on a long fly even before the batter hits it, how to throw the curveball. Stiff, crooked fingers that grappled clumsily with crimpet wrappers curled naturally around the shape of a baseball. With a ball in his hand, Park Handyman became a professor. As to the art of pitching, of course, the old man could show and tell, but he could no longer do. Except for one pitch, the only one left in his repertoire from the old days. He called it the stop ball, and nearly, it nearly drove Maniac Goofy. The old man claimed he had discovered the stop ball one day down in the Texas League, and that he was long gone from baseball when he perfected it. Unlike most pitches, the stop ball involved no element of surprise. On the contrary, the old man would always announce it. Okay, he called from the mound. Here she comes. Now keep your eye on her, because she's going to float up on there, and just about the time she's over the plate, she's going to stop. Now, nobody ever else ever hit it, so don't you go getting upset if you don't, neither. It's no shame to whiff on the stop ball. And then he threw it. Well, of course, Maniac knew that most, if not all of that, was Bellarney. And just to make sure, he watched the ball extra carefully. There sure didn't seem to be anything unusual about it, not at first anyway. But as the ball came closer, it did something somehow seem to get more and more peculiar. And by the time it reached the plate, it might as well have just stopped. Because Maniac never knew if he was swinging at the old man's pitch or at his speech. Whatever. In weeks of trying, trying, he never hit it out of the infield. It was October. The trees rimming the outfield were flaunting their colors. The kid and the geezer baseballed their lunchtimes away and after dinner times and weekends. And every night, the old man left for his room at the Y. He would grouse, You ought to go to school. And one night, the kid said back, I do. And that's how the old man found out what the kid was doing with his mornings. He had noticed the books before, rows and piles of them that kept growing. But there being books, he didn't think much of it. Now the kid tells him, you know the money you give me? Each morning he gave the kid 50 cents, or a dollar, to give himself some crumpets. Well, I take it up to the library. Right inside the door they have these books they're selling. Cases of them, old books they don't want anymore. They only cost five or ten cents a piece. He pointed to the piles. I buy them. He showed them to the man. Ancient back-broken math books, flaking travel books, warped spellers, mangled mysteries, biographies, music books, astronomy books, cookbooks. What's the matter, said the old man. Can't you make up your mind what kind you want? The kid laughed. I want them all. He threw his hands out. I'm learning everything. He opened one of the books. Look, geometry, triangles. Okay, isosceles triangles. These two legs, they look equal to you. The old man squinted. He nodded. Okay, but can you prove it? The old man studied the triangle for a full minute. If I had a ruler, maybe. No ruler, the old man sighed. I guess I give up. So the kid proved it. Absolutely dead center proved it. Two days later, while playing Pepper in the Legion infield, the old man said to the kid, So why don't you go ahead and teach me how to read? Chapter 27 The story he told was now not about baseball. It was about parents who were drunk a lot and always leaving him on his own, about being put in classes where they just cut paper and played games all day, about a teacher who whispered to a principal just outside the classroom, this sponge will never learn to read a stop sign. Right then and there, as if to make the teacher right, he stopped trying. The part I didn't tell you about Bluefield, I was only 15, 
and ran away. The kid and the old man climbed into the pickup. They made three stops. First, they stopped by the park office at the zoo, where Grayson told the superintendent he just wanted to work part-time for a while in the afternoons. Fine, said the superintendent, just so you don't expect to get paid full-time. Then they went to the library book sale. Rax in brought about 20 old picture books, such as The Story of a Bar and Mike Mulligan's Steam Shovel and The Little Engine That Could. And then they went back to Woolworth's for a small portable blackboard and a piece of chalk. Within three days, Grayson had the alphabet down pat, the shapes, the sounds. After a week, he could read ten one-syllable words. But he was reading them from memory. It took another couple of weeks before he began to get the hang of sounding out words he had never seen before. The old man showed an early knack for consonants. Sometimes he got M and N mixed up. But the only one that gave him trouble day in and day out was C. It reminded him of a bronc some cowboy dared him to ride in his Texas League days. He would saddle up that C, climb aboard, and grip the pommel for dear life. And old C, more often than that, it would throw him. Wherever that happened, he'd just climb right back on and ride her some more. Pretty soon, C saw who was boss and gave up the fight. But even at their orneriest, orneriest consonants were fun. Vowels were something else. He didn't like them, and they didn't like him. There were only five of them, but they seemed to be everywhere. Why, you could go through 20 words without bumping into some of the shire consonants, but it seemed as if you couldn't tiptoe past a syllable without waking up a vowel. Consonants, you knew pretty much where they stood, but you could never trust a vowel. To the old pitcher, they were like his own, his best knuckleball came back to haunt him. In, out, up, down, not even the pitcher, much less the batter, knew the way they would break. He kept swinging and missing. But the kid was a good manager and tough. He would never let him slink back to the showers, but kept sending him back up to the plate. The kid used different words, but his ears told, but his, but to, in his ears, the old minor leaguer heard, keep your eye on it, hold your swing, watch it all the way in. Don't be anxious, just make contact. And soon enough, that's what he was doing, nailing those vowels on the button, riding them from consonant to consonant, syllable to syllable, word to word. One day, the kid wrote on the back blackboard, I see the ball. And the old man studied it for a while and said slowly, gingerly, I see the ball. Maniac whooped, you're reading. I'm reading, yipped the old man. His smile was so wide he'd have to have to break it into sections to fit it through a doorway. Chapter 28. The first book Grayson read cover to cover was The Little Engine That Could. It took almost an hour and was the climax to a long evening of effort. At the end, the old man was sweating and exhausted. The kid's reaction surprised him. He didn't jump and yippee like he did after that first sentence. He just stayed in the far corner, seated on a stuffed and lumpy equipment bag. He had kept his distance all during the reading, letting Grayson know there would be no cheating. He had to do it on his own. Now he was just staring at Grayson, a small smile coming over his face. And now he was making a fist and clenching it toward Grayson. And he said, Amen. What's that? Amen. What's that for? Who prayed? I learned it in church I used to go to. You don't have to wait for a prayer. You just say it when, something, when somebody says something or does something you really like. He hopped off the bag, thrust both hands to the ceiling and shouted, Amen. And suddenly the kid was hugging him, squeezing with a power you never suspected was in that little body unless you had seen him 
pole of baseball almost to the trees in dead center field. Okay, said Maniac, clapping his hands. What'll it be? I'll be the cook, whatever you want. Maniac had a toaster oven now, compliments of his whiskered friend. In fact, little by little, Grayson had brought him a lot of things. A chest of drawers for his clothes, a space heater, a two-foot refrigerator, hundreds of paper dishes and plastic utensils, blankets, a mat to sleep on, which the kid ignored, preferring the chest protectors. In time, the place was homier than his own room at the Y. How about a corn muffin, said Grayson, choosing something easy on his bad teeth and aching gums. Maniac went to the bookcase that served as a pantry. One corn muffin coming up. Toasted? Yeah, why not? Butter? Sure, butter. Something to drink with that, sir? Nah, muffin's enough. The apple juice is excellent, sir. It was a great year for apples. <laughs> Live it up, thought Grayson. Yeah, okay, apple juice. Coming right up, sir. After the snack, the kid proved himself a good mind reader, as good a mind reader as a cook. Why don't you stay over the night, he said. It's late. While he groused about so preposterous an idea, the kid lay down on the mat he never used, bulldogged him down to it, pulled off his shoes and draped a blanket over it. He protested. This is supposed to be yours. The kid patted the chest protectors. I'm okay, I'm okay. And he knew that was the truth of it. The old man gave himself up willingly to his exhaustion and drifted off like a lazy sky-high fly ball. Something deep in his heart, unmeasured by his own consciousness, soared unburdened for the first time in 37 years. Since the time he had so disgraced himself before the mud hen scout and named himself thereafter a failure. The blanket was there, but it was the boy's embrace that covered and warmed him. When somebody does something you really like, amen, the old man whispered into the cornmeal and baseball-scented darkness. Chapter 29. For most of November, Winter toyed with two mills, whispered in its ear, tickled it under its chin. On Thanksgiving Tuesday, Winter kicked in it in the stomach. But that didn't stop the old man and the boy from joining the 10,000 who thronged to the stadium on the boulevard to see the traditional high school football game. The Arctic air laid panes of ice over the crayfish edge poles of Stony Creek. The effect was the opposite on human noses. Maniacs and Graysons ran like faucets, and not a handkerchief in sight. They deputized their, steeps, their sleeves and grabbed handfuls of napkins from the two refreshment stands. Two Mills won the game thanks to a last-minute 73-yard touchdown pass from quarterback to Haney to James hands down. From the instant his old trash-talking Sandlot pal crated the ball in his long brown fingers, Maniac was jumping on a seat, screaming trash at Hand's pursuers every step of the, the goal line and glancing about to make sure Mrs. Beale wasn't hearing. By the time they got back to the baseball room, they were nearly frozen. But the freeze was good, for it made the warmth of the little apartment all the more welcome. Within 15 minutes, the space heater had the place positively tropical, while in the toaster oven, their five-pound Thanksgiving turkey was already beginning to brown. A pair of hot plates and a squad of pots were pressed into action, and by mid-afternoon, the two were sitting down to a feast of roast chicken, gravy, cranberry sauce, applesauce, spaghettios, raisins, pumpkin pie, and butterscotch crimpets. Maniac thought of Thanksgiving's past, of sitting around a joyless table, his aunt and uncle silent and lifeless, as the mammoth bird they gnawed on. He said this grace, Dear God, we want to take this opportunity to thank you for the best Thanksgiving dinner we ever had. Well, I ever had. I guess I shouldn't speak for my friend Grayson. He peeked across the table. Grayson, he whispered, is this your best one too? The man opened one eye and shrugged. Don't know, ain't tasted it yet. Maniac glared, rolled his eyes upward and hissed, Grayson. 
The old man flinched. Uh, yeah, he squinted one eye at the chicken. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. The best, Maniac prompted. The best. Maniac went on. And we want to thank you for this warm house and for our own little family here and for Grayson's learning to read. He's already read 13 books, as I'm sure you already know. And one more thing. If you could find some way to let the Beale family know I'm wishing them a happy Thanksgiving, I'd really appreciate it. They're the ones on set... They're the ones on 728 Sycamore Street, in case there's any other Beals around. Amen. Amen, said Grayson. They stuffed themselves silly, then collapsed and listened to vocal music. Grayson had brought over a record player a week before, along with his entire music collection. 31 polka records. Grayson loved polkas. Of course, one cannot listen to polka music for long before getting up and dancing, which is what the two Thanksgivingers did, as their bloated stomachs allowed. They danced and they laughed record after record. Whether it was the polka they danced is another question. It was nearly dark, both of them having recollapsed, when Maniac said, Is there any pain around? Guess so, said Grayson. What for? You'll see. Can you get some? And a brush? The old man dragged himself up. What color? How about black? Five minutes later, the old man was, was back. Got brown? That'll do. Fine, said Maniac. He opened the cans, stirred the paint, put a jacket on, grabbed the brush, and went outside. Grayson followed. He watched the kid paint on the outside of the door in careful strokes. One, zero, one. Maniac stepped back, admiring his work. 101, he proclaimed. 101, Banshell Boulevard.